Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever, however, and whenever you're listening. Welcome to another episode of The Melanie Report. I'm your host, Marquise Lupton, and we have another dope, jam-packed show for you today. Hope you like how I'm talking, because I'm going to stop right now. <laughs> it's Monday, so you know it's part of our podcast series this week. And that also means our cousin of the show, Dr. Kamika Campbell, is in studio with us. What up, Doc? How am I supposed to be like quiet in the corner until you finish your intro if you're doing stuff like that? How is that supposed to happen? Well, let me tell you this. Uh, (laughs) When you shenan, just know that I'm going to shenan again. again. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we got another great one coming at you. We have these headlines. Uh, Some of the headlines that we're going to be talking about, fewer black Americans are incarcerated than 20 years ago. Is this good news or is this bad news or is this just news? Giving it a side eye. Let's see. Yeah, let's let's see. see. Let's see. Because, yeah, let's see. Uh, And our, our another story that we have is Denver Public Schools says new black student success team will improve academic performance. I mean, I will tell you this. I am I am all for academic avengers. I am absolutely all all for it uh, if it's done right. And then um also what is connected to our interview and panel discussion this week, black people say a negative medial stereotype of their community plays a role in racism. 100%. You know, and and this is why the melanin report Exists. So, folks, we're going to give you what you want, give you what you need, and give you what you did not know existed. So, here's our first headline. Ida B. Wells, Afia Gibson, will appear on Quarters in 2025. The prominent black female figures are among the United States Mint's honorees for the 2025 American Woman Quarters program, which is in its fourth and final year. So let's get into it. Ida B. Wells and Althea Gibson are among the United States Mint's honorees for the 2025 American Woman Quarters program, which is in its fourth and final year. And according to a press release, the historic program includes coins with reverse tails design honoring the achievements and services of American women. Now, this comes from the Mint director, who says, I am pleased to announce the final five of the 20 remarkable women we have featured in the American Women Quarters program. It's a privilege for the Mint to connect America through coins and to tell our nation's story through honoring the women in this amazing program. So I I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it it it. It expands on on our um, history and and it serves as a talking point. Absolutely, I'm, I'm a coin geek, um, uh, so I collected coins. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, very uh, cool. If you look on your coin, uh, there's either a P or there's either a D. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's a P on it, that means that it's from the Pennsylvania Mint. If it has a D on it, it means that it's from the Denver Mint. Denver. Uh, and, and, and then it has uh, the year that it was created and everything like that. P uh, or D. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. So um, learn something new every day. Again, I was a coin geek. Uh, That's so pretty cool. Didn't, didn't have money, but I collected it That's right. for some reason. Listen, and it may some of it, if you do, you have it still. Uh, no, no. Well, no. you know what? I don't have it, but my mom is okay. something like a hoarder. Well, since then we have it. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> and it might be worth something someday. So Ooh. just hang on to it because there's a lot of old coins 
that are worth a lot of money. That is true. Yes. You know what? And and you know what? I know exactly where it's at. It's in the bookshelf right in. Keep that. Keep your eye on that. Yep. Right next to the uh, 1993 encyclopedias Listen, that, that my mom has. It's the encyclopedias for me. <laughs> yes. So I just have a question. Yeah. Is this a downgrade? Mm. From Harriet being uh, number 20. Ooh. Speak on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just wondering. Did you see the timeline on that? Uh, yeah, yeah. 2030? Yeah, yeah. What's taking so long? I want my Tubman's. Like, right now. I, 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 I want to be in the club. Making it rain Tubman's. <laughs> I mean, thank you, Harriet Tubman. Right. But that's what we want to do. You know, that's what we want to do. This is our right. operations. Right. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to go to my mom and be like, Mom, let me hold a tub. Let me get a tub. <laughs> let me get a tub. Get a, a, a tub, a dub a tub, something like that. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I'm, I'm happy about it. I don't even want to be pretend like I'm not. I think it's very important for representation, for historical purposes, and all those different things. I'm also interested in knowing. I see. I'm always like, well, what was the what was the controversy around it? Because I know mm. putting black women on coins, putting black yep. women on anything re- representing America has been a, a long way to go. We've been talking about Harriet on, on the 24. It's How been some long? years. Yeah. It's been some years, yeah. So, you know, I just, you know, you know, to keep it a Harriet, I'm just saying what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so shout out to Etta, whose favorite, one of her favorite figures is Harriet Tubman. So, yeah, I just, I'm always wondering um, what our, I, I would love to hear from folks, what our national consciousness is around black women in particular representing in this way because it's just been such a hard way to go. Right, right. And um, and it says here, uh, before we get to our, our next uh, story here, uh, the coins will also feature Juliette Gordon-Lowe, uh, who founded the Girl Scouts of mm-hmm, America in mm-hmm. Savannah, Georgia, on March 12th, 1912. Uh, Dr. Vera Rubin, a trailblazing astronomer who pioneered work on, on galaxy rotation. And Stacy Park Milburn, an uh, influential activist for people with disabilities. Uh, and a public law, 1116 <clears throat> uh, excuse me, authorizes uh, the American Women Quarters Program. Suffrage, civil rights, governments, abolition, humanity, science, and the arts are among the accomplishments and areas represented by the diverse collection of women honored. Uh, so that's really neat. Yeah. And and to 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 your point, um, one, I hope that this program continues because it is in its fourth and final year, uh, which which also makes me raise the question, like, why is there an expiration? Why date is there expiration date on this? Absolutely. You know, um, and it makes me think about, well, I feel as though, and this is just complete opinion here, America, I feel as though mm-hmm. that they put that in place because they felt as though that there was going to be some kind of pushback, some kind of blowback, some kind of, oh my gosh, let me clutch my pearls because, Absolutely. you know, they're putting women on quarters, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so so that's what, what really makes me uh, th- think about why they put an expiration date on it. So, and it also might be, um, the other parts of this might be a presidential kind of thing. Mm. So there, there are certain presidential authorizations and executive authorizations that don't only lasts a certain amount of time. Mm. So it might be that it might be connected to that as well. Um, but there are um, but I don't know. I'm just making I'm just I'm thinking of some past initiatives that also ended in four years or ended in six years or ended in eight years yeah. that um, that came before this. Yeah. And uh, finally, now, for those that do not know, 
Ida B. Wells uh, was an investigative journalist and civil rights activist who helped establish the NAACP. The trailblazer spoke out against lynching and other social injustices against black people. Despite receiving threats, she traveled worldwide highlighting state-sanctioned violence. And she... And Althea Gibson was a groundbreaking multi-sport athlete who broke the color barrier at the highest level of tennis, winning 11 Grand Slam titles before the end of the 1950s. And she was inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame and the International Women's Sports Hall of Fame. And uh, Gibson did not stop at just one sport, becoming the first black player to compete on the Women's Professional Golf Tour. That's amazing. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So let's get to our next story. Yes. Fewer black Americans are incarcerated than 20 years ago, but the problem isn't behind us. So Let's get into it. A new report found that one in five black men born in 2001 are likely to be incarcerated within their lifetime. That's down from one in three two decades earlier. First of all, well, let me get to this and and finish this. Over the last two decades, efforts to stem the tide of mass incarceration appear to have made inroads. A new report from the Sentencing Project found that the imprisonment rate for black men was nearly cut in half since 2000. However, as the report notes, the era of mass incarceration of black Americans is still far from behind us. Black men born in 2001 have a one in five chance of being incarcerated throughout their lifetime. Moreover, the report warns that a wave of anti-reform efforts threaten the hard-won gains from the last mm-hmm. 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to uh, put a pin in it right there and uh, bring in bring in our sister expert <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, she can learn us something because she does a fantastic job you do a fantastic job listen here here's the thing about the the prison industrial complex in the united states it is the largest employer in the world Mm, so let's start there yeah let's start with that not in the country in the world in the world so when we talk about the the incarceration rate for black men and and it dropping we are happy we are happy about that if you look at some of the narrative around the dropping rates, people will say, well, it's simply because, well, it's a, it's a couple things. But first, people will say it's because black m- men are making better choices. <laughs> That's the easy. That's the easy go to one. But when you look, when you when you kind of uncover this and look at it uh, 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 from a, a, a kind of a systemic way, the the it has become increasingly Im- unpopular for um for judges and and the penal system, so right. So when when people talk about abolish the the police, right? They're not just talking about abolishing cops. They're talking about abolishing police, prisons, penal system. It's a three piece. Mm. So police, prisons, penal system. Police are the ones who catch the folks and put them before these judges, the penal system, and then the prisons. So where the disruptions and the activism has been happening. Mm-hmm. As we as we see playing out before us, but we don't quite understand to the level, it's been happening in arrests. The disruptions happening as much as people uh, hated uh, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris actually led a national push to decriminalize uh, a, a lot of small petty crimes that kept black men out of jail. People don't know that because mm. like, she locked up people with marijuana. She also did that. That's true. Mm. Um, <clears throat> those things are not mutually exclusive. Um, they actually mutually inclusive, but. Um, 
she went from state to state. This is one of the reasons why she was such a strong uh, vice presidential candidate because mm-hmm. of her work going from state to state, um, pushing the de- decriminalizing of certain petty crimes and her model that they kind of perfected in California. Mm-hmm. So that's one big factor in the last 15, 20 years that that goes towards us um, seeing a decrease. The second one, though, is the sheer unpopular unpopularness of arresting black men in particular for petty crimes. Mm. It's become a sensationalized issue that where black men, um, it used to be easy, stop and frisk has become completely, uh, people in states around the country, stop and frisk has become completely and antithetical to what people believe yeah. um, and should be done in their communities. This is why, in my mind, organizing at the local levels is so important. You look at what's happening on the national landscape, but you need to enact local changes in order to make sure that um, things happen um, for real in and affect real lives. Uh, so stop and frisk has become deeply unpopular, even in places like New York City, where stop and frisk was literally, it's literally the birthplace of stop right. and frisk. <laughs> um, and then the last thing that I think has happened is education. Um, black men have, because they're not go- going to, to prison at, at the highest rates, they are able to avail themselves in larger quantities mm. of of higher education, of alternative education, of vocational education than in prior years, right? Years that are comparable in, um, not in numbers, but in percentage to when uh, uh, folks were able to go uh, to, in, in during... Uh, the, the first boon of education when black folks were starting to get educated in very high numbers mm-hmm. is comparable to those times. Mm. And this is something that we haven't seen in a couple generations. Yeah. So this these last 10 years mean a lot for population growth. Yeah. Black men being out of prison means there are more babies being born, yeah. um, more black babies. Uh, black men being out of prisons means they are, again, populating those schools. They're back in homes. They're in jobs that people mm. um, wouldn't expect. Um, even though for me they still trend towards uh, the helping professional professions and the industrial jobs, you see black men moving into more white collar jobs, mm-hmm. um, and and um, what people used to. Pre- it's, this is a bit of a pejorative, but paper pushing jobs, right, yeah. where they are the <clears throat> managers and their supervisors, which is different than two thousand, very different. Yeah, there's also a Freakonomics. Um, an old Freakonomics um, <clears throat> episode that talks about abortion being a very big factor in decrease in prison population. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so before and after Roe v. Wade, you notice a decrease in the prison population across the board for because of the babies that were unwanted. Mm-hmm. And why does that matter for black communities? We have, even though abortion has been... Um, kind of a, a taboo subject, uh, the the right to choose has been highly correlated with um, positive family planning. Mm. So when families are able to determine the size, particularly by finance, determine when they have children, when they bring them into the world, they have better outcomes yeah. just by the choice, just by the fact that they have a choice. Mm-hmm. For families who don't necessarily have a choice and have to bring children to the world they're not ready for um, or have to bring kids into the world that they don't want, um, those have been correlated very highly to negative family planning outcomes, Mm. right? Where kids are ending up in poor situations, whether it's jail or dropping out of school and so on and so forth. This also means that now – this also means that that 
not abortion is one of the factors, but it also this this whole advent also means that the school to prison pipeline has been disrupted, mm. right? And we've been yeah. talking about the school to prison pipeline for gen, two generations, yeah. or, or quite coming on the completion of two generations, and and this means we need to look this for a future look. <laughs> we need to look at what all the factors. I just named a bunch of factors. But we need to look at all the factors, and this report does some of them. Um, you see in this, you see in the in the in the article that um, the imprisonment for black women fell by seventy percent as well, um, which is excellent, and the and the imprisonment for black male black men fell by nearly half. That's excellent, but we need to look at what factors contribute to that, yeah. so that we start planning because part of this is a. a, a a kind of a shotgun approach. You've got all these factors coming from every every attempt from all these different places, and it's and it's some of it's coordinated, some of it's not. Mm-hmm. But in the next ten to fifteen to twenty years, what kinds of coordinated, better coordinated efforts, I would say, can we put in place uh, in order to see that go even lower? Right. Um, I think half is good. I think it's I think it's a, a mixture, a mezcla of approaches. Mm-hmm. But I think there's even more to be had to because even though this has dropped, it's still we are still overrepresented. Yep. So <clears throat> even though it's dropped, we still have work to do. Um, we still have coordinated efforts to make to make sure that that goes even lower. So, a- absolutely. So, by the numbers here, uh, the number of incarcerated Black Americans decreased by thirty nine percent since its peak in two thousand and two. Things look even better when you dig into the imprisonment rate for both Black men and Black women. The imprisonment rate for Black women fell by seventy percent between two thousand and two. I mean, be- between two thousand and twenty twenty one, and the imprisonment rate for Black men fell. <laughs> by nearly half over the same period. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is that uh, we're not yet nowhere near out of the woods and anti-reform efforts aren't helping. And as mentioned previously, one in five black men is likely to end up incarcerated during their lifetime. And this is uh, according to the sentencing project. Now, that's down from one in three black men who were born in 1981. But it's not exactly, you know, good news here. Uh, There also continues to be persistent racial disparities within the criminal justice system. Um, Anti-reform efforts, like we said, are also gaining momentum in Washington, D.C., Congress rolled back criminal justice reforms voted on by the D.C.'s democratically elected city council. Other cities and states like New York and Florida have narrowed previous reforms. Um, So our prison population also in 2021 was still six times as large as it was 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, this just lets you know how deep this Mm -hmm. issue is and how much more work we have to Mm do. But... On to our next story. But before, yeah, before yeah, we yeah. go to the next story, yeah. the other reason why it's hard to see gains in these areas, too, even though we saw massive gains in, these, in the last 20 years, is because this is a very profitable industry. Ah, that part. Right? So it is easy, and this is, this is why it's become so... And, and when I say profitable industry, the prison industrial complex does, does not just include prisons. Mm. It includes the judges, it includes, it includes the police officers, it includes lawyers, yeah. it includes a whole literal pipeline, a literal... What, what did I say? The, the, the chain of custody? The chain of custody is very, very fixed. Yeah. I said it was broken for the last thing I talked about. For It's fixed for this one because they have identified a, a literal pipeline into prison that every part of the justice, the penal, the the prisons, and the policing systems are complicit in, mm. right? So that's the other part that's hard. And anti-reform 
doesn't just mean um, people who are lobbying against the, you, particularly you and I as black people in this sitting in this room together, right? As bl- a black man and black woman, they're not just lobbying against our rights to be free overall. They're lobbying for they're lobbying for money to be made on your head to yeah. the tune of three hundred to five hundred, depending where you are in the country, dollars a day. That's how much it costs to house prisoners in this country. Some, some even more. If you are mm-hmm. an aging prisoner, if you are a prisoner who has health concerns, it costs a lot of money to mm-hmm. house prisoners, and the society, our society, is paying for that. Oh, that's mm-hmm. uh, so our our next story here: racial gaps in math have grown. A school tried closing theirs by teaching all kids the same classes. Math scores dropped for black 13-year-olds far more than 13-year-olds that were white between 2019 and 2020, as well as 2022 and 2023 school years, data shows. So, Hope Reed was seeing stark disparities a decade ago at her high school in the suburbs of Columbia that is in South Carolina. Mm. Uh, So, this... um, uh, uh, these these racial uh, gaps that that hope was seeing uh, has worsened in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic and its disruptions to learning math scores, like we said, dropped for black 13 year olds far more than white 13 year olds mm. between the years of 2019 and 20 and 2022 and 2023. Wow. And this is uh, according to data from the National Assessment of Education Progress, also also known as the nation's report card. So nearly half the school students uh, were white. And this is talking about Hope Reed's uh, Hope, Hope Reed school. And she taught a ninth grade remedial class and used the regular algebra one curriculum with nearly 50 students. They were honor students and they were going to do honors work, she recalled telling them. At the end of the school year, about 90% of the students passed. The experiment convinced Reed that detracting or getting rid of classes that separate students by achievement level could be a key to narrowing gaps in math performances. This is genius. It is. It is. The school then tried going a step further, enrolling all ninth graders in the same level of math. And guess what? The <clears throat> the uh, uh, the the effects of it were deemed beneficial. Let me bring up these statistics here. Uh, this is called this is called tracking. And we see here that at the end of the year, about 90 percent of the students have passing grades. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that convinced Read that detracting or getting rid of classes that separate students by achievement level could be a key to narrowing gaps in math performance. Wow. I I was completely taken aback by this because I was always I was one of those borderline kids that was, you know, you're gifted, but you're not leave the class gifted. That's me. <laughs> so like I always I was the dumbest gifted <laughs> smart kid in the class. Yep. And 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 like that that honestly it, it always made me feel some kind of way seeing them up and leave because it's like they're not really smarter than me and and as that a part. kid I really wonder you you know what what that did to my learning psyche seeing those kids get separated and you know treated treated differently um, but this right here 
I mean, I mean, our our not only our prison system that we just talked about uh, needs reform, but our educational system needs radical reform. Absolutely. And I love this. So, Dr. K, a, a, as an educator, what say you? I say we need to understand the history of tracking. So mm. let's start there. Tracking was put into play in the 1930s with the rise of immigration. Oh, and it was a right, and it was a way to separate out um, migrant children. The good, were, the good. Oh man! And <laughs> it was a, a a means of they they said they were for for migrant and native kids, not mm. just migrants, also native children, and they were they were it was a way of separating out children who were seen as having less preparation for school, mm. right? So they started early with with weeding them out to make sure that she preserved a, a very monolithic, monochromatic classroom mm-hmm. um, so that those kids could learn in the same way that they had always learned and had always been successful. Mm. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind for me when this this uh, topic comes up, it's no surprise, it is no surprise that um, kids who all learn together uh, develop their skills better. That's not a surprise. Mm. Homeschool has already taught that. Homeschool has already proved this point. And mixed classrooms of all levels have already proved this point. Mm. Um, and different kinds of schooling f- configurations outside of public schools have already proved this point. Yeah. But uh, we we fail we have failed as a country, I believe, and there there's some historical significance what I'm saying, but most of it's just what I have seen, um, to adopt this because it is easier to figure out how to teach to one stereotypical type of child than it is to vary learning for different levels of learners. And that's the other piece to that. So after you separate them out Mm -hmm. into different tracks, right? For example, when I taught um, uh, Spanish, middle school Spanish, we had three different tracks. Mm -hmm. We had a, a 601, 602, 603, 701, 702, 703, and 801, 802, 803. Mm-hmm. And the 801 kids were considered to be the higher achiever kids, and the 803s were your LDs and your problem kids and everybody else. And you were expected to teach them differently. You were expected mm-hmm. to because that's what you did, right? The 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 LD and the the push and support kids and all that stuff, they they needed a little more little less academics, a little more structure, a little mm-hmm. less academic. Um, concentration, a little more behavioral planning, and all these kind of different ideas that you're, but you are literally taught this in teacher school. You're taught yeah. about these kinds of things, and you're taught about how to classroom manage for these different level of kids. Mm. So, all that to say, we manufacture these things in a lot of situations. Are there children who need exceptional services? Absolutely, mm-hmm. on every side of the spectrum, not just. The one where we think, oh, you know, they have NLD or whatever. There's there every part of this education equation. There are kids who need differentiated differentiated learning, which is a big a big thing now. Yeah. But we, for the last, carry the one, ninety seven years, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's almost been a hundred years. We have manual ninety. Sorry, I did that wrong. Ninety three years. We have manufactured this idea that tracking helps the higher education students, the high, uh, allegedly high, more prepared, more educationally savvy students succeed, and it, and it, and then we kind of forget everybody else. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what we do. 
But so that's the history of tracking. I mean, that was a long way around. But I'm not surprised that the kids who learn with the other kids do better in, in class. Yes, there are some kids who fall behind, but that's how it, in these bigger classes. But that's when you make classroom sizes smaller, right? And you cater to a a differenti a, a differentiated group of students where. There are kids who have different learning styles and different uh, styles of absorbing information and different personalities, obviously. And you teach the students how to learn from each other in a way that lifts everyone up. Yeah. And and I, I look at this and th this is, you know, a, a l looking at it basically. But, you know, from a sports standpoint, you know, if 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 you're a point guard and you're playing against players that are better than you that's going to raise your level of performance even more absolutely versus if you're playing with players that are just as good or below your skill level your skill level is going to drop absolutely. your performance is going to drop um you know it's a it's a basic you know person see absolutely. person do kind of thing uh so uh real quick before our next story um after uh, the first year, the, the school approach is set up differently. Uh, rather than moving struggling students to another math class mid-year, teachers started the school year with two lower-track math classes. The last remnants of her program, the math seminar, ended with the last school year due to changes in the school schedule. Yeah. And uh, the average score for black students on, on the exam was 80 up two points from the year prior and the average for white students was 83 and increased by less than one point from the year prior. So what we see here is innovation um, and intentionality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that's right. Uh, we we can't approach this new world with old school value. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Our fourth story for today takes us to Denver and Denver Public Schools says new black student success team success team will improve academic performance. So let's jump into it. State data indicates the graduation rate for black students in the DPS class of 2022 was 73% compared with 86% for its white students. Mm. Denver Public Schools, which is DPS, has a plan to improve its black students' academic performance. The largest public school district in the Centennial State announced the formation of the Black Student Success Team, which will be administrators who will find the best strategies and teaching practices for black students and distribute them across the district. And this is from Chalkbeat, wow. Colorado. And the team's creation comes more than four years after the Denver School Board approved a black excellence resolution requiring DPS institutions to develop methods for boosting black student success. Some schools, however, had struggled to implement those plans. And mm. according to Chalkbeat, Denver has 89,000 students, about 14% of them are black. Wow. And the data indicates the district is not serving them as well as their white peers. For example, on state reading tests this spring, 73% of white children in grades 3 through 8 met or exceeded expectations compared with just 27% of black students. Huh. And according to state data as well, the graduation percentage for black students in the DPS class of 2022 was 73% compared with 86% for their white students, a 13-point disparity. So we're going to uh, 
put a pin in it right there because I don't want to talk much because we have an educator oh boy. in the building. Don't tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> no an pressure. No. <laughs> okay, so first a joke. <laughs> is this what happens when you legalize weed in your state? Because <laughs> y'all got extra money to do you podcasts to do like this? <laughs> this is amazing. Yes. At the first or second year in Colorado, they had a $300 million surplus. That's wild. Um, from 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 the, the marijuana sales. That's, that's, we have too much money. Uh, what are we going to do? <laughs> We're going to put it into education. Yo. Makes sense to me. It, so much sense. Makes sense to me. So I'm, I'm hoping, I, I'm just going to claim it. I don't even know if that's true or not, but I'm going to claim that this is a result of having extra money to actually focus on your students. Yeah. And find disparities and do the good work. I feel like that's an amazing, amazing outcome. Right. Um, and and the, here's the other thing. This pattern is replicated for students, black and brown students, BIPOC students across the nation. So you will see in so many areas, in so many school districts across this country, the students who are black and brown are graduating at lesser rates than their white peers. Yeah. And they usually blame it on the fact that they're black. They're just slower than everybody else. That's what they usually say. Mm. Well, you know, they've got all these other problems. But that's not true. Right. It's a it's a it's a lack of focus on the needs of students who are culturally and uh, significantly just different than than their peers and have been and not just that they're different inherently. They have been treated differently in a system that favors non-black and brown students, yeah. non-BIPOC students. So this is not a surprise. To, again, not a surprise. Um, these numbers. And what I'm hoping is. Um, as they identify these dif- district level practices that they and I know they will this is this is usually what comes out of studies like this they will develop a best practice way of looking at disparities and start to shop this around in, in places that don't have uh, the resources or, or could have the resources but don't configure their states and their their school districts to operate with those resources in the right way is what mm. I should say. Um, so they can start looking at disparities. Our school districts around just the Central Pennsylvania area are eerily similar mm. to these numbers and much worse, actually. Um, we we are a stone's throw away from a district whose who's black and brown students are have horrible um, uh, graduation rates compared to their white peers. Yeah. And it is it is become a kind of throw your hands up we don't know what to do situation. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hoping is as they uh, look at these best practices and to develop them, they will uh, begin to shop this around to different uh, school districts and communities around the country where we can uh, take some lessons because we need them yeah. all over the place. Yeah. First off, <clears throat> first off. They had me at Black Excellence Resolution. Loved it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we need one everywhere. Can yo, we get one of those everywhere? Yeah, I'm like, how how can we yeah, make yeah. this nationwide? Uh, secondly, this comes from Denver. I'm like, man, you know, Denver. what what that is that is a very uh, forward thinking for it. Yes, yeah, very very much absolutely. so. Absolutely. Um, and, and and then also, um, Black Student Success Team. Uh, in 2023 seems like something that should have been started in, you know, 1983. Correct. Maybe um, even 1950. <laughs> How about that? Two generations ago. 
But I'm 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 glad now that there's there's this intentionality. You know, I used it for for the last uh, story, for the last headline that yeah. we talked about. Uh, but but now, not just like you said, you know, throwing up the hands. Yes. You know, because that's that's what it seemed like. What was happening? Oh, absolutely. For Ever. Well, what what are we gonna do about them? They have such bad outcomes. We've got you know adverse childhood experiences, aces that we can't mitigate for. We have the the, the neighborhoods doing what we can't do anything. And people really, I mean, New York public, New York City public schools is a perfect example of this. Mm-hmm. They've thrown up their hands because uh, our our Harrisburg school district, another example. Mm-hmm. And these are two different locales. They yeah. throw up their hands and they go, well, what are we supposed to do with these kids? And it's um evident that it's not that people don't care. It's mm-hmm. that it also kind of goes back to the last story. You have to put different kinds of minds who can challenge you in the room. There it right, is. Yes. To make sure that you're you're looking at not not just what's in front of you, but but taking a one for as a person taking a global look at you know what affects you and what affects the, the people around you, and then two, learning best practices from outside of yourself, outside right. of your school, outside of your state, if you have to. Right. I feel like uh, this th- this is something that like that one black person has been saying in the school board meeting Listen, for about thirty years. You know it is. <laughs> and then and then finally they were like, you know it is. You know what? Let's 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 try this <laughs> this black student excellence Correct. program. Correct. You, you know, um, and yeah, uh, Denver, you have uh, all the eyes on you right now. Uh, I'm gonna say we we watching Denver. Yes, yes, we are watching. Yes, because this this can set a precedence. Absolutely. Uh, and then you'll be contacted by the good folks of the Melanin Report and Black Newsbeat. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> expeditiously. <laughs> and we'll expeditiously get to our final story of the day. Yes. Our fifth story of today takes us to the news and the media. And black people say a negative media stereotype in their community plays a role in racism. Duh. And nearly 40% of, of these survey respondents said they see racist or racially insensitive news often. Oh, what? 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 You don't say. I didn't know that. And water is wet news at nine. (laughs) (laughs) Black people hold critical views of the media, which they say stereotypes their community and covers it more negatively. According to a recent Pew Research Center survey, there's not a lot of African-American coverage unless it's February or unless it's criminal. One focus group participant told Pew. Michael Lapika, the associate director of news and information research at Pew, said overall, Republicans harbor more media distrust than Democrats. But black Americans distrust the media at the same rate, regardless of their political preference. I love this. That I love that stat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we keep the same energy, whether we're red or blue. One hundred percent. Regarding how the media covers black people, the views are pretty similarly negative on both sides of the aisle. Lipka told the Grio, there's not really much disagreement there. Even black Republicans hold the view that there are a lot of problems with how the news media covers black people. And the survey of nearly 5,000 black adults was conducted in late February and early March 
according to their results released on September 26th. And we'll get into uh, some of those results when when I um, talk about my points. But mm-hmm. uh, this is this, this is why this is why this is why, you know, uh, the melanin report exists. Absolutely. This is why Black Newsbeat absolutely exists Be- because there's this thing in news that if it bleeds it leads That's right. and more often than not, you know, we're talking about a black or brown person bleeding and then right. we're using their their story to push this news L- well, narrative. Your biggest example is every time a black man is or and and I wouldn't even, I was going to say black people know when black men are are murdered by police, I'm sorry, killed by police. Um that's what leads for weeks. Yeah. The only thing that rivaled that coverage is Donald Trump. Literally. Yeah. Literally. And I I tell this story every chance I get. Mm-hmm. I won't say who the executive is. But when I was first shopping around the idea for a black news beat and I wanted to talk about the good things that were going on in the black community, that executive of a local TV station told me, nobody's going to watch that. Mm. Because if it bleeds, it leads. Mm. And that doesn't sound very enticing. You know, people want to hear about the murders. This is a white man telling you this. Wow. People want to hear about the, the, the other things. That's what they want to hear about. I was like, well, who are the they that wants to hear about this? Right. This is a, I am positive there's a market for people who want to hear about the great things happening in the community. And let's talk about how that changes your psyche. Yes. When you hear good things about yourself, right? Yes. You tend to be inspired to do good things. Yeah. When you see yourself in a positive light, you tend to be inspired to be more positive. Absolutely. Those are co- those are correlated and you can look that up. You don't have to believe me. Factual. Um so wh- I I've I've I am not surprised. I'm actually this is a very for the Republicans and the Democrats. This is pretty woke. Yeah. <laughs> when I put that word in there, make everybody mad who don't like that word. Um, but few black. One of the one of the, the statistics was amazing. It said few black Americans remember Democrat or Republican mm. have high hopes that black people will be covered fairly in the future. That's wow. And when they say that, they're talking about the major media outlets. Yeah. That is why there's a room for a black news beat. That is why there's a room for a melanin report. Right. Because they don't, they have no confidence that, that people are going to see us for us. They're, They're not confident in that. And of course you're not because you literally don't hire, you hire, you don't hire us to, to report the news. That and if part. you do, you don't cover our stories. And if you do cover our stories, they are sanitized. Right. I remember a, a reporter was coming to cover the Black News Beat. Mm-hmm. And it was our anniversary. Mm-hmm. And one of them wasn't allowed to come. Wow. At all. We had several news articles that year done on the Black News Beat. Mm-hmm. It's competition. Wait, I, y'all what? just, first of all, y'all just said that we weren't competition because it wasn't going to be interesting enough for people to watch. So yeah. that's interesting. Two, um, they said it was, it was competition. And then the other one was, it's not, it's not, not only is it it's not very interesting, but we don't need, if we wanted something like that, we would have had it on our channel. And I'm not going to say who anybody is. Okay. Man. And then the last one I got was, oh, it's boring. Like the show's boring. Nobody... Nobody's going to watch that. Not newsworthy. Mm-hmm. So the people who are deciding what the news is either think erroneously that's your competition. Yeah. Or they think it's not newsworthy or they're they're putting up these roadblocks to they're literally gatekeeping 
what can be news? Right. Like literally gatekeeping it. Um, so, of course, that was one of my favorite stats that I read. Few black Americans have high hopes that black people will be covered fairly going into the future. Going in, right. Right. And and I'm looking at um, um, myself when I was doing TCP Network. Yes. Um, and and when we were making uh, pitches to the larger networks. Oh, yeah. And and there was there, there was that same thing. Oh, well, this isn't newsworthy. This isn't newsworthy. It's that word. Yeah. Like, like I, and, and I don't like that. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, sir, ma'am. Um, Correct. I, I am I am doing this morning show. Every morning, and the numbers are crazy. And you, you know that that would what what you're trying to say isn't newsworthy. The thousands of people watching is saying otherwise. And then I got Absolutely. that that oh well, this is competition. And it's like well, listen, they will move them goalposts in a minute. You went from how do you go in the span of sometimes hours <laughs> from it not being newsworthy yeah. to it being competition? competition. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and and it's it's because they they don't want certain folks a part of their news fraternity. That's it, and that's all. And and that's that's what it that's is. What it is, you know. Um, like you said, these 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 gatekeepers, you know. And and let's be honest, these gatekeepers. And I'm not trying to age shame here. So if you are a part of this group, I'm sorry if you're catching this stray, but. Uh, Is it a stray? Because I'm aiming right for them. <laughs> so. uh, they they are they are 55 plus, you know. So they certainly are. So now 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 you, Mister, had a pretty good easy life. You're telling me, you know, somebody that is not in your age, race, or even thought demographic. You're trying to tell me what my audience doesn't seem as Listen. newsworthy. Mr. White Male Executive, mm. I want you to know something about Pennsylvania. Let him in know. The, listen, in the next 10 years, the demographic that you are gatekeeping is mm. going to be black and Hispanic majority in the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah. So what does that mean for y'all? And I actually had a white Republican executive tell me that. Mm. So what does that mean for y'all? What does that mean for y'all gatekeeping the news? Right. What does that mean for y'all not wanting black people to be seen in a positive light. Right. What does that mean for you? And, and Hispanics and other, you hardly see um, Asian folks in the news, AAPI folks in the news, unless right. it's about some minority, m- model minority nonsense. Right. So if you don't want that to happen, and in the next 10 years, Pennsylvania looks like the 18 to 39 and the 40 to 55 demographic is majority yeah. black and brown. What do you think is going to happen? That part? I would like to, I would like to ask. Yeah. Y'all going to be out of business. I'm going to answer the question. <laughs> Put this on a shirt. Unracism the news. <laughs> All right. So so our statistics uh, before we, we, we close out here. 63% said the news about black people is often more negative than other ethnic or racial groups. 43% said news coverage largely stereotypes black people. And it does. Yes. Nearly 4 in 10. That's 39% they said. Said, said they see racist or racially insensitive news fairly or extremely often. I want to remind you guys, this is Republican and Democrat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and only 6% of those surveyed said they believe they're being fairly treated. So 94% 
94 over Republicans and Democrats. So y'all yeah. can't be like, well, though, well, that's because it wasn't the good blacks. <laughs> right. Right, right. So uh, during this program, we 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 talked about systemic systems. I, I mean, we, we talked about the news industrial system. We talked about the prison industrial system and the school industrial system. I'm hoping you, the listener, was able to pick up what was being put down. I hope y'all during... did you did you could you pick up what we were putting yeah, down? Yeah. <laughs> if not, if not, you need to flex those intellectual muscles and join us next time. But before we go. Dr. K, what yes. you got? Well, first of all, guess who is going to their 15th Obama alumni Ooh. reunion in November? Let me just tell you that she just dropped I that did. real, that on him. real, real slick, smooth. Real. Like, like <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm an Obama alumni. Like, yeah. wait, what? First of all, it's been 15 years since we campaigned for Obama, and That's I don't wild. understand. I don't understand what's happening. Where did the years go? Right. Um. That's number one. Number two. The world is not the place I thought it would be 15 years later. <laughs> so that's something. Um, right, right. And then number three, I'm just so happy to go see my friends and, and my, fam- my Obama family again. Mm. After so many years, we haven't been together since the Obama farewell. Oh, wow. Um, in 2016, 15 going into 16. Um so it's going to be a beautiful time in Chicago, and I'm very excited to go. Oh, man. Oh, man. So uh, anything uh, coming up for Black Newsbeat? Yes. Um, well, in addition to being an Obama alumni, I'll also be accepting award for being a community engagement chairs. Hey, yes. there it is. There it is. With the National Coalition of 100 Black Women and CBW 100 um, actually that weekend. So my husband's going to go in my stead and accept that award for me. I didn't tell him that he's doing that, but he is. Doing that. Right. <laughs> and then for Black News Beat, we have a, we are in the middle of our election episodes mm. where we are showcasing. Listen, the, if y'all if you're not watching the Black News Beat, what are you doing? I know I know this is the Mellon Report, and this is my boo over here. But y'all gotta watch the Black News Beat uh, because yes. we have been showcasing election uh, or candidates, but. It's the things that the candidates are saying that are mm. applicable across so many different communities across the state. Yeah. So I'm hoping that people will tune into that and listen to, like we learned on the show that the recorder of deeds has the power to change the racialized language that is in housing deeds that can stop black people from buying a house. Didn't wow. know that. Yeah. 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 Today years old. Today, honey. I didn't even know. And so there was a um. I also, Lord, 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 so many things happened. But this woman named Candace Taylor, she wrote a book about the Overground Railroad and the Green Book. Mm-hmm. Very exciting woman. But she mentions this thing that happened in 2009 where this black woman went to buy a house. And they crossed out of the deed as if that was going to make a difference, mm-hmm. the part where she couldn't own it. And she signed paperwork anyway mm-hmm. and went about her business. Yeah. But the recorder of deeds candidate was explained to us on Wednesday that even if they cross it out, if they go get the master deed from from Cumberland County, mm. yeah, it's still in there that she can't own the house, and that could be a problem for her. Wow. So listening to these candidates and learning about their causes within these specialized areas, to mm. me, has been so important because you don't know what you don't know. Right. And learning these things and at least getting these tidbits here and there, to me, have been extremely important. So tune in to Black News Beat. We have one more episode coming up mm. where we'll have... Uh, Secretary Negrin from the newly formed, uh, he's the Department of Environmental Protection, but the newly formed um, Environmental Justice Office 
uh, coming on to talk to us about the new changes in the policy mm. that's coming up there. They changed the policy since 2004, and it's been vetted. And it includes language that talks about environmental justice as racial justice. Ooh. Honey, we are really covering some topics. Yo, right, right, right. We're covering some topics on the Black News Beat. Anyway, I could talk all the time about this show, but go ahead. (laughs) I love it. Uh, But but yes, yes. There's Uh, there's something else. Yes. Oh, what you got? Happy birthday, Marquise. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I I heard... That you turned 40. Yes, the big four. Wow. Yes, yes, You just yes. going to skip over that? We were going to talk about that? <laughs> hey, hey, I, 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 I mean, I mean, I don't talk about myself. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's I'm, okay. We're going to talk about you. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. We're very thankful for you. Oh, thank we you. We love thank you. you. Thank you. We love your drive and the things that you put into this community. I love how you've attached yourself to just the folks in your life and how you've made things better for them. Mm. You've made things better for me. Oh. Right? And so I'm appreciative of you on this opportunity to work with you. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, man. Tears, teardrops, and goosebumps. That's what I <laughs> have right oh, now. Oh, and some, and some bruise. Yes. Because we got some. We got yes. a little bruise in them. Yes. <laughs> shout, out, sh- shout out to Springhouse. So the conversation continues on Wednesday with part two of this week's series. And we have Media Prince coming on to discuss everything that he gets into. It is our Media Week. And then on Friday, we have our panel with DJ Double O and the Sarge, my friends from TCP in the morning, where we're discussing the biases of media and what can be done in the future. So this is Media Week, folks. We have some great shows on deck for you for Wednesday and on Friday. I'm Marquis Lufton telling you to trust your dopeness. And our quote for today comes from former President Barack Obama. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. Again, I'm Marquise Lupton telling you to trust your dopeness. This is the Melanin Report, and we'll see you on the other side.
that's right from Wakanda, I'm kinda Like the biggest deal because I never cease to be the realest Me that I could be, I honestly, intentionally eliminate the sides Then I defy the odds To multiply is me the product that I'ma need to succeed We counted up on the side by 11 I'm letting the people know that any second